listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. All right, welcome to a new episode of The 30. Lots to discuss. The Sixers coming off an ugly, although it was only a one-point loss, it was still pretty damn ugly. We'll jump into that. Joining me for this episode, Mr. Harrison Grimm. Harrison, what's going on, my man? Hey, man, I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, I wish we would be able to talk about a much better game than the Celtics game last night, but still there's a lot of fun topics to talk about, and I really appreciate you having me on. Oh, of course. No, enjoy your uh, – and if you don't know about Harrison, he does some video work for us at, at Liberty Ballers. Uh, excellent follow online as well. You can follow him at Harrison underscore Grimm. That's G-R-I with two M's. Uh, jumping into the, the the bigger picture stuff, Harrison, watching, watching that game against the Celtics on Wednesday – Lots of the same things we've seen from the Sixers for quite some time in terms of struggles with getting a bucket when they needed it. And watching that, the end of that game and, and the play that, that really happened, they had six seconds left. Tobias Harris gets the ball basically, you know, 10 feet you know, off the three-point line. Uh, misses Joel down low, who had a bit of a seal. Ugly possession resulted in George Niang taking an off-balance three as time was expiring. Uh, Rob Williams, obviously, the Celtics got a hand on it. But when you're watching the end of that game. And and I mentioned this in the post-game pod following the loss to it to Boston. You're not going to win many games when Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey are shooting six of 30 combined. But when you're looking at, at what the Sixers were running and especially at the end offensively, where do you think Doc needs to make adjustments? And it feels like this is Groundhog Day because we've talked about this, um, you know, since Doc really joined the Sixers. But when you're looking at some of the adjustments he could make and getting Joel back into the lineup... What is it, in your opinion, that the Sixers should be doing differently uh, compared to, you know, they started off 8-2 and two and now they're sitting at 11-11? and 11. Uh, Ultimately, a lot of the responsibility does fall on Doc. Uh, in, in that last situation that you're referring to, there definitely should have been at least one of Tyrese Maxey or at least Shake Milton on the floor just because you're, you're bringing the ball up the court and you don't really have a traditional ball handler. I know Tobias Harris can kind of do it, George Niang, but not against like a near full court press kind of defense. And obviously it resulted in, in a, a poor last possession. Um, so when it, when it comes down to it, it's unfortunately just the Sixers current roster construction with, with the whole Ben Simmons situation. Uh, Tyrese Maxey is still a 21 year old point guard. There's going to be some nights like last night where he just struggles and, and it's going to be tough, but Unfortunately, right now, the Sixers just kind of have to ride it out with him. He's definitely adjusting with, with Joel Embiid, an MVP caliber player being put back into the lineup. Uh, but for that last possession, you know, you got to be a little bit creative. And, and I definitely feel like Doc should have went with some ball handler in that situation over George Niang. Shake Milton was arguably the best player last night. Mm-hmm. It was either him or Seth Curry, and he wasn't out there for the last seven minutes or so. So I really would have loved to see him out there. Yeah, I think that's where I was looking at that, you know, yesterday too, was get the ball to Tyrese Maxey. A, he's your fastest player, I think, you know, by a landslide. And number two, he's the guy you want to get creating off the top, especially in that situation where time's running out. You need somebody that either A, is going to get to the basket um, or, you know, be able to drive, create. Uh, a little bit of a situation where the defense has to come help and you can kick it out for an open shot. And and you mentioned shake and, you know, I was watching that yesterday too. I mean, really, really good in the first quarter shake was he had 12 points finished with 16 overall, but you want to see one of those guys kind of getting the opportunity in that situation to be able to break down the defense. And so when you're looking at what was working for the Sixers prior to 
Embiid missing the time that he did with the with the COVID stuff. And obviously he had all these guys out from Tobias Harris, Danny Green, uh, Matisse Thybul, who was also in the league's health and safety protocol. So they've had, you know, guys missing. It hasn't been easy. Seth Curry as well. But when you're looking at what they were doing earlier in the year when things were, were really working for, for the Sixers was the quick pass to Joel Embiid, you know, bring it over center and look for Joel either in the high post or basically look to get it to him as soon as they can. How do you think they're going to be able to run around these adjustments now, um, given the fact, like you mentioned, that Tyrese Maxey has to adjust a bit to the fact that Joel is there. But is there something else you'd like to see them be doing differently in terms of getting Joel, A, the ball a little bit quicker because there was a few possessions where, and especially at the end of that game against Boston, that the Sixers were taking like 15 seconds off the shot clock before the, the ball even came close to getting to the three-point line. And we were seeing like, you know, Seth Curry dribble, 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 dribble. Uh, Tobias Harris seeing that at the top, not really moving anywhere, not a ton of movement off the ball. But when you're watching what the Sixers and Doc Rivers specifically can be doing, is there is there anything you're looking at for them to make an adjustment to get Joel, not only, like I said, the ball quicker, but in better positions rather than four or five feet off the block? Yeah, so I think last night's going to be really pivotal. Um, I'm cautious in saying this because Doc Rivers is notorious for not making adjustments like ever. But um, I, th I think last night is really going to be kind of a, a, a turning point for the Sixers where they're going to really start to look at the rotations and everything. And all season long, I, along with many other people on you know Sixers Twitter and also writers, have been saying that it seems like Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid at least one of them should be on the court at all times. I, I don't agree that you should match up their minutes 100% or near 100%. So I think that's something Doc should really look at. And Tyrese Maxey, we, we saw what he's capable of when the Sixers were going through injury and, and COVID problems. He, he's a really gifted player. Now, I, I think Doc should look to kind of tie Tobias and Tyrese's Max's, or Tyrese Maxey's minutes together. I, I feel like Tobias could be a really good score for him to lean on. Tyrese can kind of focus more on scoring when Joel's off the floor. And I feel like they should tie George Niang's minutes to Joel Embiid a lot more just because George Niang doesn't suffer from the same problems that we've seen Tobias Harris suffer from, which is just kind of a, a lack of awareness of what's really going on or just hesitancy to shoot. Uh, George Niang is, is going to shoot the ball. Um, and, and, and Tobias Harris, we, we've seen him kind of all – throughout this year and, and especially last night where he just does not shoot threes or, or, or the semi-open threes, kind of what Seth Curry did last year, which is where he's a little bit open. The, the defense is starting to collapse on him, but he'll actually shoot the ball. So that's something that I think Doc should really look at, just kind of switch the rotation. And, and I definitely feel like that would help the reserve unit in a way too. Yeah, that's been the frustrating part. And and as you mentioned, you know, we've just seen that from Doc, even when he was coaching the Lob City Clippers, that a lot of the issues were that he wasn't making adjustments and kind of sticking to the game plan, which is not a bad thing if it's consistently working. But as we know, in the NBA, you have to make adjustments on the fly. And, and you're watching the way, like uh, Matisse Thibault, who I think is, is easily one of the best defenders in the NBA, um, obviously not a great offensive performer, only shot one of five from deep against Boston, but you're looking at that. The Celtics were making a point out of helping off of Thibault and just being like, well, if uh, Joel catches it, go double team hard or also basically just be in position and sagging off of him. When you're watching what Doc can do, especially with the backcourt, and I'm including the one through three there, where you're looking at Seth Curry, 
uh, Tyrese Maxey. Do you think he should be looking at giving like Danny Green a little? I know he's on a little bit of a, of a minutes restriction because of his hamstring, but who else is there? Like, would you like to see Shake coming out a little bit more? Ferk, who's been struggling a lot. Like, who do you think would be a, a good, like, if you look at your best five man finishing lineup, who would that be for you for the Sixers? So, so the best five man unit by far has been the, you know, the, traditional starting five of Maxi Curry, Green, Harrison, and Bede. That's that's always going to be your best group. But, you know, as you alluded to, that's not really realistic right now with Danny Green playing, give or take, about 20 minutes a game. Um, so where I would look, I was surprised that, that last night, Firkin only played six minutes. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I was just going off of the eye test, really, but I didn't feel like those minutes were bad. In those six minutes, he had one rebound, three assists, a turnover, no shot attempts. I felt like he was fine in those minutes, and I was really shocked to see just kind of at the end of the game how little he played. Now, maybe Doc was fearful of how he would defend, you know, Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown, two really big athletic wings. Uh, but I think with, with the Celtics uh, scheme, defensive scheme, uh, you, you really had to try him just because they were ignoring Matisse on defense, and it really hurt the Sixers uh, offensively. Uh, so Ferkin's an obvious answer, and it would have been really interesting to see them just kind of take a swing on Isaiah Joe. Now, I get it's a close game. Uh, he hasn't really played much as of late, but we saw what he could do in the preseason, and I definitely think he's worth a look. He's shown that he's a capable shooter, and and I also think he could have held his own defensively as well. Yeah, then that's where I think, you know, Ferk has been struggling, though, mightily, mightily shooting the ball. What do you think he's been, you know, the hardest part for him to – kind of get back to the level that he was at earlier in the season. I mean, you're looking at his three-point shooting overall. He's just been, you know, terrible. Hasn't hasn't been able to make as many shots um, that he was earlier in the season, only shooting 31.4% in November from deep. Uh, when you look at some of the adjustments he could make, what do you think Fur can be doing differently in order to get back to uh, the level that we were seeing earlier in the season? I think I, I know there's hesitancy to give Firkin these opportunities just with how much he struggled. You know, you pointed out the numbers. It's, it's a very real and concerning thing. Firkin's always been kind of labeled as a streaky shooter, but I don't think we've, we've really seen him struggle to this extent over such a long period of time. So maybe just a way to get him going would be just inserting him into the starting five. And, and I know that, you know, obviously Danny Green is definitely the starter that they need. They definitely need his floor spacing. Uh, but we've seen in the past with, with certain players where if you insert them into the starting five, sometimes it can get them going. Um, and if they were to start Firkin, you'd probably open up some minutes for Danny Green, uh, which would be extremely beneficial down the stretch. Doc Rivers has used the majority of Danny Green's minutes through the first three quarters, which has led to basically no min- minutes from Danny Green in the fourth quarter, which has really hurt them. Uh, so that's something I would look to do. And also just giving Firkin some ball handling opportunities. He, he is a gifted creator, uh, a secondary creator. Um, and just having the ball in his hands and maybe getting some easy shots, some easy layups. Sometimes that can be all it takes to get a good shooter going. So I would try either of those things. Harrison, I want to take a break here. I want to jump into a couple of more things surrounding the Sixers as well as the young guys on the blue coats. We'll do that after a short break. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. 
That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, we're back, Harrison. We're talking about uh, FERC a little bit there before the break. When you're looking at the roster composition, and you know, we this is no secret that there obviously have, I've been missing a primary creator, which we all believe Tyrese Maxey is slowly growing into that role. But when you look at the roster composition, is there one specific area that you'd like to see Daryl Morey and the management company kind of try and 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 target uh, during the as we get up towards the NBA trade deadline because December 15th, that's a big day where free agents are going to be able to be traded again. So you might see some of the trade chatter start to pick up around the league. But when you're looking at kind of just the composition of the roster and you're looking at the the second unit, is is there one area you really want the Sixers to focus in on if they're going to be able to kind of turn things around and get back towards the top of the conference? Yeah, so the the glaring needs that the Sixers have have needed is is kind of a, another guard. I still feel like Tyrese Maxey has shown enough that he can be someone you can rely on to kind of be your lead guard. Which guard? I don't know whether that's shooting or point guard, but he can be your lead guard uh, going forward. And I definitely think you should you know invest some stock, invest some resources into, into growing him for sure. Uh, which kind of leads me to their secondary need, which is kind of a, another wing, a bigger wing. Um, just because of, of Danny Green, who, who hasn't been able to really stay on the court much with that hamstring issue. Birkin and Matisse are both good, but they aren't the most reliable uh, players, especially offensively. So I think either one of those positions, they really got to take a good look at. I would lean towards, you know, kind of a, a larger forward or a larger guard uh, to pair next to Maxi, uh, maybe one that's capable of ball handling and, and definitely. Uh, of the shot creation variety. Now, everyone in the NBA wants a larger forward or, or guard that is capable of creating their own shots. So getting one of those guys is a lot easier said than done. Uh, but in terms of positional needs, I would definitely lean towards getting another guard or another forward. Is there anybody in the NBA you think that would be a good fit for the Sixers that might become available? And I'm not talking the big names here um, in terms of like Dame Lillard. We're hoping that. But anybody maybe under the radar that Daryl Morey might be able to get on the cheap that when you look around the league that you look at and be like, all right, you know what? That could be a good guy to, to, to fit the rotation. Yeah. So, so a name that immediately comes to mind and he's still a larger name, not, not quite as large as, as those guys that you mentioned. Uh, but I would definitely take a look at new Orleans situation uh, 
more specifically with with Brandon Ingram, who I think could really help the Sixers. Now, there's a ton of overlap uh, between him and Tobias Harris in terms of being, you know, a good shooter, but not a high volume one at that. Uh, but both really like to live in the mid range. Uh, but getting someone of, of that caliber or that kind of play style, I think, could definitely help the Sixers uh, going forward. When when you look at this now, like the big picture stuff, you we're, we're we're looking at the Sixers, like I mentioned. I mean, started off eight and two, and I think everybody was was thrilled and not gonna you know take away credit from them from that start, just considering the fact that why they they've been on the run that they've been on in terms of going three and nine over the last twelve. Um, given the fact that all the adversity they dealt with without Joel in the lineup, obviously an MVP candidate, uh, the COVID stuff, like like we talked, the, the injuries. When you look at this now, and and the Sixers don't have a very favorable schedule for the month of December. They're taking on you know 12 of their next 14 games against teams that are at least in playing positions. Uh, so not a lot of easy ones and, and gimmies that you'd see with you know the Pistons and uh the Rockets or any teams like that. You're not you're not having those cupcakes coming up in on the schedule but when you're looking at this team what do you think they need to do in order to get back on an assist pardon me a sustained run in order for them to get at least back towards the top of the standings which is where we all assumed that the Sixers would be at least a top three four team in the east no that's a tough question and I think it ultimately boils down to resolving this Ben Simmons situation whether uh, that's bringing him back, which I know the Sixers have been adamant about up until this point, or just actually getting something for him, getting some type of return, getting some players that can come in and, and help you right now. Uh, I, I think ultimately that's what needs to be resolved for the Sixers to kind of climb the standings. Uh, just because, you know, Ben Simmons' impact on the floor, he's, he's a really talented player, albeit he is, you know, obviously flawed. Uh, but but just taking up so much of your payroll in, in one player that's not out there, you know, it, it hurts your team. You, you can steal a few games, which we saw saw them do at the beginning of the year. But ultimately, having that much money out, having that much talent out is really going to hurt you in the long term. So so I think the Sixers, for the time being, uh, just focus on getting Joel and Bede back on track, focus on growing Tyrese Maxey, uh, grow some players within their role. Un until you can resolve this Ben Simmons situation. And then once I think you do, you can kind of go forward and, and try to get back into being uh, serious in terms of contending. Do you think, is there any shot that Ben ends up playing for the Sixers again, or is this something that's going to drag out in your opinion, um, at least in probably into the new year at the very least, I, I imagine, unless a, a random deal pops up that Daryl Morey can't say no to. But when you're looking at this, like, do you even think Ben will suit up for the Sixers again this year? Or do you think there'll be a trade made this season as well? I, I, I don't think Ben will play uh, as a Sixer again this season. I, I just don't see it. I, I think if it would have happened, it would have happened a few weeks ago when they were on that, uh, I believe it was a six game long road trip. I feel like he would have returned then. Obviously, you know, he's not playing in Philly uh, in front of Philly fans, which I do think, uh, to some capacity is a factor in his decision of not playing. Um, but, you know, it, it's tough to see. I think December 15th is, is that date that you, that you brought up, that it's very real where I think it'll be the earliest the Sixers will start seriously engaging on, on these Ben Simmons discussions. But ultimately, I, I do think he'll be traded this season. I just can't see them effectively punting away a season of Joel and beats prime just to figure out this Ben Simmons situation. Uh, so, so I think in between December 15th and the trade deadline, I think they will make a trade of some kind. 
Yeah, I, I hoping they do because I, I really feel like when the Sixers are at full strength, they can be a major force to be reckoned with. And I think there's a ton of parity in the NBA. Obviously, you got uh, teams like Brooklyn who you know have been on a hot run as of late, going eight and two. They're sitting at fifteen and six. The Nets are uh, leading the East. Washington's been a bit of a surprise, but you look at the West. You have the Suns, the Warriors, and but again, these teams are flawed in their own way. And and you're going to be able to at least make a run, especially in the East. I feel like with Brooklyn missing Kyrie, uh, Milwaukee's trying to get things going. The Bucks have won eight in a row, but when I'm looking at at this Sixers squad, I feel like they're one player away, impact player away from really being a legitimate title contender. I still think they can be very good and make a run in the playoffs as constructed, but they're going to you know need to make a change and, and bring in somebody, like you mentioned, uh, regardless for, of all of his flaws, Ben Simmons is still a three-time All-Star, all-NBA defense type talent. So not having that on the court, and as you mentioned, given the resources that are allocated to him in terms of financially, uh, definitely makes it difficult to put forward your best product. I want to shift gears to the Delaware blue coats. Um, I know you do a good job of, of covering them. As I mentioned, you, you, you frequently mention them online, watch a bunch of their games. When you're looking at some of the young guys on the Sixers, specifically first round pick Jaden Springer, who spent some time there. We've seen uh, B-Ball Paul spend some time there. When you're watching these guys play, are you optimistic at all that a guy like Springer, a guy like Paul Reed, who's already gotten some rotational minutes w- with the squad, uh, but getting some more, you know, run and, and, and getting some more experience uh, with the G league. When you're looking at those teams are those two guys specifically, are you optimistic at all that they have a future in this league and, and how far do you think they are away from potentially becoming regular NBA contributors? Yeah. So that's a great question. I've, I've had a ton of fun watching the blue coast this season, sometimes even more than the Sixers, especially last night. Uh, but when it, when it comes to Jane Springer and B-Ball Paul, you know, those are the two guys that everyone's going to be watching when they're watching Blue Coats games. Uh, so B-Ball Paul, he, he's only been down there for, for a game or two. He's been dominant in both games. He's been a 20 and 10 guy, which is to be expected from the reigning G League MVP. So when it comes to B-Ball Paul, he, he showcased all the skills that he showcased at the NBA to an extent and, and also last year. Uh, you know, he's a gifted defender, very gifted rebounder, uh, great lob threat, great pro- post threat. The thing about him where he just really needs to grow is just offensive consistency. And if he can try and grow that three point shot, I don't think he's hit a three uh, in the NBA, you know, meaning the professional NBA, not the G League yet. While last season, I believe he shot around 40 percent in the G League. So. Growing that shot, it, it's kind of hitchy. It's not the prettiest thing in the world, uh, but growing that would would definitely help him out in getting minutes with the Sixers because we've we've seen B-Ball Paul defensively when the Sixers were so shorthanded. He's he's a very gifted mobile defender. Uh, it's just about fine fine tooling that offensive game. Uh, when it comes to Jane Springer, he he's looked like a newly nineteen year old or newly turned nineteen year old kid. Um, he's still offensively raw. There's some games where he looks very polished off and very good offensively. He's had a few 20, 25 point games, uh, but the offense is still not super consistent yet. But I will say Jaden Springer is is there. He is at a defensive level where I do believe he could contribute right now uh, if the Sixers so called upon him to do so. Uh, He's not like many 18, 19 year olds in, in that extent. He has a very ready NBA body over the past two blue coats games. He's actually combined for a total of 10 steals. So defensively Jaden Springer is there. 
I think it just comes down to fine uh, polishing off his offensive game, similar to B-Ball Paul. Uh, Jane Springer has been good offensively, uh, but he struggled a little bit from the perimeter. I believe he's shooting around like 24% from three, which, you know, that's not going to cut it. So hopefully he can fine tool that three-point stroke. And, and once he does, I, I do have some optimism that he can be kind of a, a defensive two guard. That's that's what it seems like they're growing him into. He hasn't really had many on-ball opportunities at all uh, with Summer League or in the G League. So I am optimistic about both of them for sure. Well, when you look at the overall job the Sixers have done developing their young guys, and obviously, I mean, you, you look at when you have Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, not with the team, but these guys are high draft picks. Um, so you're expecting them to to contribute but when you're looking at you know the Sixers have been high up there in the standings the past few years and and you know not exactly getting top five picks anymore but when you're looking at the jobs they've done with with the young guys you know we mentioned Maxi, we mentioned uh you mentioned Paul Reed Isaiah Joe uh these type of guys Matisse Thibel when you're looking at 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 them you know the guys who are under 25 what are you what are your overall thoughts on on how the the Sixers have done as an organization bringing in young talent that necessarily wasn't um highly touted coming into the league I think they've done pretty much a, as good of a job as you can expect from, from a team drafting in the mid to late first round. Uh, they haven't really missed on many uh, first round picks or just picks in general. The, the only real misses over the past few years were Zaire Smith, who was talented, but obviously unforeseen circumstances happened in the form of a sesame allergy. And now he's unfortunately out of the league and, and Mariel Shayok, which that was just kind of a, a iffy pick from the start. But outside of that, you know, you got guys like Shake Milton, uh, who was picked 54th overall. Uh, even Charles Bazzi this year, who was instrumental in them stealing some games, especially the Denver game. Um, he was picked 56. So they've done pretty much as good of a job as, as you can expect them to. And I think that speaks volumes to their scouting department. Um, and I also think it speaks volumes to the guys that, that spend time in the G League with the Delaware Bluecoats. The Bluecoats do a phenomenal job at, at helping developing these guys. And now you're starting to see some of them make an impact. And I think that'll definitely be the case eventually uh, with Jane Springer and Paul Reed. Harrison, we'll get you out of here on this. When you're looking at the Sixers next 10 games, as I mentioned, not going to be easy. They still got the Hawks coming up in a back-to-back against Charlotte, come home and take on two of the best teams really in the league in, in Utah and Golden State. But when you're looking at how the Sixers can do in terms of wins and losses, how do you think they're going to fare over the rest of the month of December? Do you see them being able to string together some wins and then kind of climb up the standings? Or do you think we're going to be going through a little bit more up and down here where they're going to win one, lose one, win two, lose one uh, for the next little while until they kind of get things back on track in terms of having everybody back on the same page? Because I mentioned this during the postgame pod that it would really help the team to get some practice time. Unfortunately, they're basically playing every second day and, and, and three games and four nights and four and six here for a couple of stretches. But do you think they'll be able to get on a run uh, over the next month and then as we get into the new, new year? I think it will still remain to be a little bit rocky uh, over the span of the next few weeks to a month. Just uh, of how difficult their schedule is. There's a lot of road games and then you have a few home games and None of those are against teams that are really below 500. I believe there's only one team that they're that they're facing that is well below 500 in the form of the New Orleans Pelicans. But outside of that, I know they play the Heat. I know they play the Hornets a few times. They've been great this year. 
So I, I think they're going to just remain around 500. And while that isn't the most attractive thing in the world, I also don't think it's a bad thing just considering how difficult their schedule has been and the fact that they're finally starting to get, you know, the, the core of their team back minus Ben Simmons. So now you got to implement all these guys and, and also the new pieces they added. So it's going to be a big adjustment. But I think towards the end of the month, I think they'll start to string together a few wins and hopefully get into a good rhythm. All right, Harrison, appreciate you taking the time out to do this, man. We'd love to have you on again in the future as well. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. I, I loved, especially talking about Blue Coast. The Blue Coast have been fun this year, uh, but I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Well, as you mentioned, Harrison, uh, he does a ton of great work on Twitter. You can check him out at Harrison Grimm. As I mentioned, that's Harrison underscore Grimm, G-R-I-M-M. I'm at JazzKang21, J-A-S-K. A and G two one. And don't forget to follow us at Liberty underscore ballers as well. And of course, subscribe to Liberty ballers podcast network. You can catch us on Apple podcast, Spotify, you name it. We are there and we'll cover you covered on the website as well for all things Sixers. As we get now into almost month number three of the NBA regular season, that'll do it for this episode. Sean will be back with the talking about podcast. We'll be bracket recapping part of me, the Hawks Sixers affair on Friday. And then we'll be back at it with the gastroenteritis blues on Sunday as well.